Well, have you ever had to describe yourself in just three words? Like, do you guys know what I'm talking, like you're at an interview or maybe you're preparing for a job or uh, you're, you're creating your resume or something like that. I feel like anyone that's been to a, a work interview has been in this situation where they ask a question like what three adjectives describe you the best or sometimes it's framed in sort of like a strengths and weaknesses type of question. What's your biggest strength? What's your biggest weakness? And for the most part, I think that people despise these types of questions, right? Out of everything you could use to describe yourself, it's so hard to narrow it down to just a few things. I'm a weirdo and I love these kinds of questions. Like, I feel like I would get a new job just so I could do the interview portion of it. Not because I want a new job, Jeff, if you're listening, not because I want a new job, that's not it, but because I love interviewing so much. I love thinking through these kinds of questions, probably because I don't take it too seriously. I think a lot of people take those kinds of questions too seriously, but also because it can change daily, the way we describe ourselves, the way you think the world sees you. And some people, in my humble opinion, they go the boring route, right? They say things like uh, punctual or meticulous, like they, they, want, they want their person to know that like, hey, I, I, I like details and I, I'm really attentive to that kind of stuff. Uh, some people like to describe themselves more out of the box where like it's kind of vague and you don't really know what it means, but it sounds good. That's kind of where I fall in these sort of things. Uh, innovative or like collaborative. And you're like using these words and they're like, yeah, that sounds like somebody we would want. Some people are taking notes. They're like, oh, I'm using that at the next interview. Like, and if you're not taking notes, you should because these are gold. Okay. Use these. I never take these questions too seriously. And there's always one way that I describe myself, all right? It doesn't matter if I'm in an interview, if I'm just hanging out with friends, if it's like a Wednesday night and I'm up on stage talking to the students and like I'm trying to like get them to know who I am or that kind of thing. I always describe myself as strong, like, like scary strong. Um, and then people laugh at me. That's what happens every time. That's so weird. Hey, if you're new here, my name is Brendan Anderson, and I am, as you probably guessed, the youth pastor here at the church. And I am so excited to get to bring the word of God to you guys today. But before we jump in, I just want to let you guys know, next week, Pastor Jeff is starting a new three-part sermon series that's going to take us all the way through the summer. The series is called Glory, and in it, we'll be using the final five chapters of Romans to talk through how the glory of God changes us unites us and gives us purpose. The whole series hinges on Romans 11:36, which says, for everything comes from God, exists by his power and is attended for his glory. All glory to him forever, amen. This is a great time to invite somebody new to church as we're gonna be focusing on this series on the glory of God. And then out in the the lobby at the Element Store, we have uh, Roman journals for sale. They're super cool. I was already looking at them earlier this week. I'm going to stop by and get one as well. But they have the entire book of Romans printed in them. So on one page is like a chapter, and then on the other page, it's blank. So you can write down your thoughts, questions, notes. You can keep track of like the sermon series as we walk through it, and you can go side by side in the journal as well. So those are out there. It's going to be amazing. Highly encourage you guys to be here. And like I said, it's going to go through all of summer. So even if you miss a week, please don't take the entire summer off because you missed one Sunday in the sermon. Some people do that. All right, 
Now, some of you might be wondering why on earth I opened up talking about how strong I am. There's a couple of reasons. One, it usually makes people laugh. I don't know why it makes people laugh. Obviously, I have a swimmer's build that also usually makes people laugh, and it's vague. Nobody really knows what that means. But it goes hand in hand with what we are talking about today. Today, we're talking about one of the most well-known couples of all time. Like their story has inspired songs, poetry, a TV show, a movie. And if I'm being completely honest with you guys, I really don't like this story. Some of you, just because I'm the youth pastor, you think I'm about to preach on Romeo and Juliet. I'm not. That's Shakespeare. That's not scripture. They're very similar. I'm just kidding. Two different S words there. Today, we're going to look at a guy who, like me, scary strong, And I'm gonna argue potentially even had a swimmer's build, okay? But unlike me, he's actually strong. I'm, okay. We're gonna talk about the story of Samson and Delilah. And like I said, I don't like this story. I think I used to like this story. Like if I'm being honest with you guys, as a kid, like Samson just appears as this bright light. Like in scripture, he is like this firework going off in the sky. He's powerful. He does these amazing feats. He's super strong. At the end of his life, he tears down a temple, like as a kid, even as a teen, like that's exciting to me. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's, I want to be scary strong. I want to do these crazy things for God. And well, recently I went back through this story while I was doing devotions with my best friend. And instead of enjoying it and relishing in the strength that we get to see Samson you know, put on display, I just, as I was reading through the four chapters of his life, was continuing to get more frustrated with the guy that was supposed to be delivering Israel. All of the judges, like the entire book of judges in general is pretty depressing. Um, it's, it's kind of disappointing, but But this story specifically, on like a really basic reading of it, of not digging into it too much, of just like, you know, reading the words and taking it as it is, made me think that like, if I wasn't already a Christian, okay, if I didn't believe in God, if I didn't know the rest of the Bible, if I didn't know the plan that God had for his people, the love that he had for his people, if I read just this story right here in the Bible that I believe is true, it would make me never want to believe in the Christian faith. And I realize that's kind of harsh, right? It, it like, but that's how I felt. Like that's, that's almost a direct quote from what I was writing in my devotions as I'm reading through this story. It wasn't until much further along in the Bible that I was able to look back on this story in Judges, look back on Samson's life with a different perspective. But we're, we'll get back to that. Samson had this unbelievable power and he was promised to do amazing things for God but his life just didn't add up to that. In fact, the four chapters in which we get his story are some of the most disappointing verses in scripture. And as I was studying this passage, looking into why that is, like what on earth could have happened that made this this promised baby turn out the way that it did, there was one thing that stuck out to me. It came down to one thing in his life that he couldn't get rid of, and it was sin which is going to lead us into our big idea and get us going on this depressing trip with Samson. It gets better, I promise. It's not going to stay depressing the whole time. But it gets us going on this with Samson Delilah. The big idea for today is going to be this. Sin affects the effect we can have for God. Sin affects the effect we can have for God. And our big question is, what effect does sin have 
in our life. And can I, can I be real a second? I was slightly concerned about using that big idea, mainly because of the affect effect um, thing that's gonna confuse everyone in general already. Some of you are already like, I'm not gonna understand a single thing that he's talking about today if this is what it's hinging on. But I, however, like it flows really nice, like just in general, the sentence sounds really good and there's spiritual truth to it. And I know that Pastor Jeff is gonna love it. So like all those kind of worked into why we're using this big idea. Plus, because it's slightly more confusing and because it does like just go together nicely, I feel like it's gonna stick in your guys' head this week much better than anything else that I could probably come up with. And so that's why we're using it today. And next week you guys will come back and Jeff will have a better one for you. And so you're gonna get stuck on that one. So don't worry about it too much. The main scripture today is Judges 16, all right? We're not gonna read the entire chapter of Judges 16. I highly encourage you this week though, like read all of Samson's story. It's, verse, it's chapters uh, 13 all the way through 16 is what his life kind of consists of. Um, but we're gonna jump around a little bit. I don't wanna read all of it, but we're reading enough of it that I was like, well, we'll just put the whole thing instead of like trying to have lots of numbers along with a confusing big idea. That sounds awful. So... If you want, you can turn there in your Bible to Judges 16. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's like seven or eight books into the Bible is where we find Judges. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If it's on your phone, you can use your YouVersion app and do that as well. If you're a student here, I know when you're Snapchatting. So like just, but I'll be honest, like sometimes they're really sneaky when they're Snapchatting. I'll be at the end of like a youth night and like look at my phone and have like 12 pictures for me preaching. I'm like, you guys are giving me action shots up here, like putting them in my profile. Um, so if you didn't bring your Bible and if you don't have your phone, which let's be honest, nobody forgets their phone at home anymore. So you probably have that at least, but you can always follow along on the screens. The scripture is gonna be up there as well. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one, absolutely free. Just stop out at guest services and they would love to hand you a Bible. Um, all you have to do is ask, but we'd love to give you the word of God today. There's a couple of things that I wanna share with you guys before we jump into the main scripture, some context that I think is pretty important just for the book of Judges in general, before we read about kind of the end of Samson's life. And so the entire book of Judges is essentially what happens when you disobey God. All right, it details what happens to the Israelites when they fail to do what God has called them to do. Essentially, it shows God's judgment against sin in his people. But nowhere does it speak so clearly to the effect of sin as in chapter 16. So where we're gonna pick up the story, the Israelites are currently under oppression from the Philistines, okay? They're gonna be under oppression for 40 years. And Samson at this point is already the judge of Israel, meaning he is supposed to be the one to begin to deliver the Israelites from their oppression. Usually what happens is the Israelite people get oppressed because they sinned against God. And then after an amount of time of being in slavery, to a foreign land, they, they turn back to God, they repent and they cry out to him for help. And at that point, God, because he is so loving, so forgiving, has so much grace for his people, he raises up a judge who then delivers his people out of that. The uniqueness of this story, what we get to read about is like, that actually doesn't happen in the story of Samson. The Israelites, unfortunately, they're actually pretty content with being slaves to the Philistines. So unlike the other judges in scripture that were raised up after the Israelites called out to God, Samson instead was a promised baby, which is so cool because God does amazing things 
through babies. Like when the exodus needed to happen, like God sent the baby Moses. And then when the Israelites are under oppression here, we get the baby Samson. Later on in scripture, when God wants to fulfill his ultimate will for the people, for the world, he sends the baby Jesus. Like God works through the weak to accomplish great things. And that's for free, by the way. God works through the weak to accomplish great things. And so an angel, and most commentators actually believe this is the cool part, that it was Jesus, appears in chapter 13 of Judges and tells Samson's mom that she is going to have a baby and that he's supposed to be a Nazarite, which means he was someone dedicated or set apart for God, usually for a specific amount of time. Like some people would consecrate themselves for like a month, a year, something like that in order to seek God's will in their life. But for Samson, it was supposed to be his entire life. He was gonna be set apart to do God's will. And this meant a couple of things for him and for his mom as well, but it meant that he couldn't touch a dead body. He wasn't allowed to drink anything containing alcohol and he can't cut his hair, which is probably the most important part of our story. Doing any of these things, any of the stuff that he wasn't supposed to be a part of would have meant sin for Samson. And not, like, not for everyone, I'm not telling you that you can't do these things, but like, this was specifically for Samson, this was his life. And there's a quick spoiler alert. If you don't like spoilers, close your ears now. Samson fails at all of these things. Every single one of them he fails to accomplish for God. Sin affects the effect that we can have for God. So what effect does sin have in our lives? We're gonna pick it up in Judges chapter 16, verse four says this. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Sin affects the effect we can have for God. So what effect does sin have in our lives? Number one is this, a blinding effect. A blinding effect. So remember earlier when I told you Samson was probably like me in the sense that he was scary. I have to be careful. If I flex too much, this shirt will probably rip a little bit. So (laughs) scary strong. And yet we see in this story that the rulers are asking asking Delilah to find out the secret to Samson's strength. And this is like, most people would just glaze by this, but like this means to me that Samson must not have looked very strong. In most of like the movies, the TV shows, the stuff like that, like he is portrayed as this big bodybuilder, right? Like this giant guy, he's got the muscles, all that kind of stuff. If that was true, and it, it could be true, like I'm, I'm making this up essentially, it could have been true. However, the way that the story is told makes me think that Samson was not somebody that looked like he could do the things that he was doing. And most of us, like we've seen the big bodybuilders, we've seen the people that do those things, like it makes sense that they can lift so much weight, right? It makes sense that they are that strong. And yet here we have rulers that are coming to try and find out like what on earth is happening to this guy? How is he doing this? We need to find the secret to his strength. And so Samson was promised to be the one who would begin delivering the Israelites from the Philistines. And yet here he is falling in love with a woman who it doesn't say this, but I believe, I assume is a Philistine by the way that the rulers go to her and and like bribe her into finding out Samson's secret. And Samson, his entire life has had a bad habit of going to the wrong places in order to satisfy what his eyes see. The, The problem is he can never be satisfied. 
at this point in Samson's life, we're seeing the blinding effect take full force. Like this is a point where like, you have to know some of the backstory in order to realize how blind Samson must have been not to see what was going on right in front of him. A few chapters prior to this, however, was the beginning. And it all started with Samson seeing a beautiful Philistine woman that he then forced his parents to go get him for him so that he could marry her. And they're like, Samson, don't marry her. You're not supposed to marry a Philistine. You're supposed to be helping us get away from the Philistines. He's like, no, 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 I like her. I want her, go get her for me. And I know that we're only seeing the effect of this and I don't have time to go into everything that happened in Samson's life, but specifically I wanna look at the things that caused him to see something, seek after it, even though he wasn't supposed to be. And so he had a habit of going where his eyes wandered the most. When he was traveling to the town of his first wife, he makes two trips into a vineyard. So he's, he's going down the road to where she lives to, to get her as his wife. And he sees a vineyard. He takes two trips into the vineyard. So remember, he's a Nazarite. He's not even supposed to be drinking wine. Yet here he is prancing along the grape. He's probably not prancing. He's like going along the, the grapes in a place where he shouldn't probably be. And this lion jumps out at him, okay? Um, some people think that the lion was like God's way of being like, Samson, get back on track. Like you're not supposed to be in here but he kills the lion, all right? So this is the first time that the spirit of God comes onto Samson and he actually has the strength to rip the lion in half, which that's scary, scary strength. (laughs) Then later he goes back. And the reason he goes back to the vineyard a second time is to look upon the dead body of the lion. He goes back to see his trophy. And he sees that inside of the carcass of this lion is honey, like bees have filled it with a bunch of honey which he's not even supposed to touch the dead. Here he is getting close to a dead body. And he uh, is not supposed to be eating honey out of it either. That's gross. But that's exactly what he does. He, he goes to find this dead body. That's gross. He eats honey out of the dead body. That's double gross. Then he takes the honey back to his parents, doesn't tell them where he gets it. And he's like, here, try this honey. That's ugh, those poor parents. Some of your parents are like, my kid would probably do that. So he's not supposed to touch the dead, and here he is eating honey out of it. Four verses earlier in chapter 16, so where we're reading at right now, Samson travels to Gaza, and while he's there, which is Philistine territory, he sees a prostitute and decides to spend the night with her. You see, through Samson's life, he was blinded by sin. He was blinded from what God had called him to do. Like an angel had appeared to his parents, not just an angel, but probably Jesus appeared to his parents before he was even born and explained to them the miracle that Samson was gonna be, the vow that he had to take as a Nazarite. And like my parents already don't like, they will not stop about talking about how great I was as a baby. Um, That's probably true. Um, But can you imagine if an angel appeared and says, hey, this is what your son is going to do. He's gonna do all these great things for God, but you need to make sure that this doesn't happen. You need to make sure that he doesn't touch anything dead. You need to make sure that he doesn't drink any alcohol. You have to make sure that like through all of these things, he doesn't cut his hair because he's set apart for God's work. I have to imagine as a parent, if that's what happened to me before I even had the baby, like every single day I'm pounding this into Samson's head, like don't do these things. And he must have grown up knowing knowing I'm sure that this is what his life was supposed to look like. And yet he could not stop his eyes from betraying him. Understand in this entire thing, sin never blinded Samson from the beauty of this world. It blinds him from the beauty of the Lord. And that's where he falls into it. If we're not careful, it can have the same effect on us. 
Continuing on in verse seven says this, that Samson replied to Delilah. So she's like, what makes you so strong? Samson replies, if I were tied up with seven brand new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. Which that alone should show you the humor of uh, Samson. Like bowstrings, some of you probably like hunt with bows and like that kind of thing. They're not that strong. I assume way back in when this was written, which is like BC 1000, somewhere around there, like they couldn't have had really strong bowstrings or anything like that. So he's, he's basically just making stuff up right now, playing jokes on her. But the Philistines, they bring Delilah seven new bowstrings and she ties Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Afterward, Delilah said to him, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me how you can be securely, tied up securely. So we're gonna skip a little bit, but I wanna let you guys know what happens. Cause again, it's funny and this is just ridiculous. So Samson tells her like, hey, tie me up with brand new rope. And then I'm gonna become as weak as everyone else. So what does she do? He goes to sleep. She ties her, him up with like new rope. And she's like, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up and he just breaks through the rope as well. Um, and then she's all like, you're making fun of me. And like rinse and repeat guys. This just like keeps happening again and again. It happens three times, all right? She's like, what makes you so strong? He gives her like just the stupidest thing ever. And then she does that and he breaks free of it. And so verse 15, we're gonna pick it back up. So she starts pouting. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. Sin affects the effect we can have for God. So what effect does sin have in our lives? A blinding effect. And number two is this, a binding effect. A binding effect. Okay, true story. It wasn't until I realized how blinded Samson must have been for me to be okay with how stupid he acts in this section of scripture right here, okay? This girl is, is number one, uh, your enemy, right? She's a Philistine. You're in a, an enemy-controlled territory right now. Like, I get it. She's cute. Maybe she's not so bad. Like, maybe Samson's like, well, she could be different from the rest of the Philistines. But he's already had, like, terrible experiences with the Philistines. So I could potentially forgive Samson the fact that he's, you know, telling this cute girl funny things because maybe she's, like, laughing about it and they're just having a joke. And she's like, you're making fun of me. And he's like, I know, it's so funny. And they laugh together every night. I don't know. But here she is daily asking you what she can do to take away your strength. And then while you're sleeping, which Samson must be the most deep sleeper like in scripture. I don't think there's anyone else who gets better sleep than Samson does. Because while you're sleeping every night, she does whatever you said was going to take away your strength and ties you up with it essentially. Whether that's rope, it's, it's the uh, the strings, the bow strings. She puts his hair into a loom at some point. Like, I can't imagine, like, you're sleeping and somebody's, like, pulling your hair back into a loom. Like, how do you not wake up from these things? She takes away all of your sleep or all of your strength and then calls out the Philistines. Also, why are Philistines in her room every night? That's also weird. How is Samson not understanding these things? <laughs> Samson's dumb, guys. <laughs> but here's the thing. Samson actually isn't that dumb. When we read about his life, like he's got a mind at work. He comes up with riddles and he's got this wicked sense of humor. He solves problems and yet here he is daily, it seems like, coming back to the same woman who tries to trap him. 
not only trap him, but she is continually trying to bind him with whatever would take away his life. And unbeknownst to Samson at this point in the story, he was already trapped. You see, sin has caught him in a snare and he can't escape from it. And just like Samson, when sin enters our lives and we don't turn to God, we become trapped in our sin. Samson should have been praying, Lord, show me how to say no to this. But I think what took place instead is sin began making the choices for him. I think when I first read this story, I thought Samson was continually coming back to Delilah, right? That's what it sounds like. It sounds like he goes there one night and she's like, tell me how to like, make you weak. And he's like, oh, do this to me. Um, and so she does that and then he doesn't become weak. And then the next day happens and she's like, you lied to me. Tell me now how to do it because he keeps sleeping every time. So you're like, well, he can't, he, he must be coming back continually to this person that's trying to take his way, his strength. But what if Samson never left? It doesn't say this. And again, I'm just, I, I'm a, just guessing here. I think I can just decide if this could be true. But what if Samson actually never left the house every day? Well, what, what if he was bound to the house, bound to Delilah, to his decisions? What, what if he had come to a point where he, he, he didn't even have a choice left? You see, the temptation that started with his eyes had led him to a trap that was gonna end with his life. And I don't know if he had the choice to leave every day. I don't know if he kept coming back, but it seems like maybe that temptation had binded him just like the sin had. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus, he's, he teaches his disciples, this is the gospel in, in the New Testament. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray at one point. And a lot of people memorize it. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's short, but Jesus is like, hey, when you pray, you should pray like this. And then he teaches the disciples how to pray. But there's one line in it that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I always thought that was weird um, because why would God lead us into temptation, right? We're praying to God and we're like, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us. And there are tons of places throughout scripture that actually tells us the exact opposite, that God is never going to tempt us. The temptation never comes from God. But when Jesus is like, this is how you should pray, it's don't lead us into temptation. And so I was doing research into this story, research into kind of the temptation that Samson felt in this life. And one of the commentaries I read said this, we can't help it when Satan and his demons tempt us. But when we tempt ourselves, we become our own worst enemy. When we pray, lead us in, not into temptation, we're asking that we not tempt ourselves or put ourselves into such a position that we tempt God. We tempt him either by forcing him to intervene and rescue us or by daring him to stop us. See, Samson was supposed to be freeing the Israelites. He was supposed to begin delivering them from the oppression that they had underneath the Philistines. But instead, he had been further binding himself to the sin that he couldn't get out of his life. He had reached a point where he was so blinded by sin that he didn't realize how bound up he was. And the same can happen in our lives as well. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, what sin has you bound? Verse 16 says this, that Delilah tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Husbands, do not elbow or turn to your wife at the moment. Focus on me. Don't do it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, 
for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, I'll just do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. Sin affects the effect we can have for God. So what effect does sin have in our lives? We're going to look at verse 21. It's up there on the screens. The enemy captured Samson and gouged out his eyes, a blinding effect. Took him to Gaza, which is where earlier he had demonstrated his godly strength in chapter 16. But now he is bound with bronze chains, a binding effect, and set to grind grain in prison. Number three is this, a grinding effect. A grinding effect. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Some people are already like, yeah, I understand what that is. I have a three-year-old and she asked me the question why all the time she's in that phase. So like the nagging, like at some point you do, you, you get sick to death of it. And this wasn't the first time something like this had happened to Samson. You see, when he was set to wed his wife back in chapter 14, the first woman that he had fallen in love with, he had posed a riddle to the people at his wedding feast, all right? So he's, he goes to this wedding, and I'm assuming it's got to be pretty tense, right? Because he's the judge of Israel, so he's the one that's like supposed to free the Israelites. But he's marrying this Philistine woman, so he's at this party with a bunch of Philistines. And so the Israelites and the Philistines, it's kind of tense right now. It's pretty awkward. And Samson's like, I know. I'll just ask a riddle. This is why I know. Like, he had to have a good sense of humor because, like, this guy was continually thinking about things. And so he posed this riddle, and no one could figure out the answer. And they needed to figure out the answer because there was a wager on this riddle. Samson's like, if you can't figure it out in seven days, because they used to celebrate wedding feasts for seven-day period. Like, some people were like, that's the kind of wedding I want to have, seven days of just celebrating me. They have seven days to figure it out. And if they don't, they have to give Samson 30 articles of clothing. So like they're trying to figure it out because it's pretty expensive back in this day. But instead of admitting defeat because nobody can figure it out, they go to Samson's wife and they're like, you better find out what the answer is or we're going to hurt you. Samson's wife then nagged the answer out of Samson. And by the way, like this caused him, so Samson, the people come to him like, here's the answer to your riddle. And he's like, you would have figured that out if you hadn't had my wife nagging me all day. And so he already knows that he's bad at doing this, but they do that. Samson then goes, he kills 30 people and steals their clothing because he doesn't want to actually pay up on the bed. So he just goes to the Philistines, takes their clothes, gives it to them. And then after that, like he ties a bunch of jackals together by their tails, sets a torch in between them and then lights a bunch of fields on fire. Like guys, Samson is bonkers, but... <laughs> Read Judges, because in it is the most ridiculous things I have ever seen and the pettiest comebacks of like all time. So Samson, he just, he has this habit of being worn down by outside forces in his life. And I think he was experienced the same kind of grinding by the sin inside of him as well. The Israelites in general, like just at large, they follow this theme over and over and over and over again. They had 300 years of judges where they would sin, become oppressed, cry out and repent, and then God would raise somebody up, a judge would come along and save them, and you would think, man, we should not do that anymore, and yet over and over again, they just, it's the same cycle repeating for them in their lives. I think when we are blinded and bound by sin, what happens is we just begin circling again and again the same routine grinding our lives. 
Sin has this power to make us feel weaker and weaker. You see, when you grind something, it becomes like dust, right? It gets smaller and smaller. And what sin does is it grinds our souls. It causes things either to, one, to appear too easy. For Samson, it was going to be continuing to come back to Delilah. Like, it was just too easy to come back to her. It felt too good going back to her. Or two, it causes things to appear too hard, like escaping from the sin, saying no to whatever it is. I I don't know. I see this a lot with people. Like, usually it's when they're hooked on pornography or something like that. When you're addicted to it, it can cause it to be so easy to come back to and so difficult to stop. And that's just one example. There are countless of other ways that sin in our life causes our spirit and our soul to become like dust. The last effect sin has in our lives is a grinding one. We become smaller and smaller. The impact we can have for God becomes smaller and smaller. The presence of God in our lives becomes smaller and smaller. For Samson, in verse 20, he didn't even know that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. How far from God do you have to be to not even realize that he was no longer there in your life? Sin took a man that was promised greatness, one that was born as this bright light. And over the course of the 20 years that he was judge over Israel, it snuffed that light out. What should have been one of the greatest stories of strength in God, redemption for the Israelites, freedom for the oppressed, it turned into one of the most disappointing, frustrating, and for some people, I think the most hated or disliked stories in all of scripture. I don't really, I haven't talked to anyone that enjoys this story at all. And if we're not careful, I think it can do the same to us. And the story could end right there. Like we could finish on the effect of sin, that when sin is allowed to grab hold of us in this life, this can be the effect. Only this isn't the end of the story for Samson. And it's not the end of the story for us either. Verse 22, right after verse 21, verse 22 says this, but, and I'm gonna channel Pastor Jeff right here because similar to him, I like big butts in the Bible. But (laughs) before long, his hair began to grow back. And this is just conjecture because it doesn't tell us in scripture what Samson did while in prison except grind grain. But I have to imagine he had a lot of time to think. A lot of time where he couldn't be distracted by the sights of this world because the Philistines had taken his sight from him. So I'm guessing he spent a lot of time praying. And the fact that his hair starts growing back so quickly for someone like me whose hair doesn't grow, that seems nothing short of a miracle in general. But after what appears to be a fairly short duration of time, the Philistines host this feast because they're celebrating the fact that they finally captured their greatest enemy, Samson. And he can't hurt them anymore. He can't tie jackals together and light their fields on fire. He can't steal city gates from them. He can't hurt them anymore because they've taken his strength. They've taken his eyes. He's been bound. He's been grinded into dust. They bring Samson out to this temple where they're having the feast and he's set to entertain them. And after this, he's tired. He asked somebody to set him next to a pillar so he can rest In verse 28, Samson does this. He prays to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. This right here was the one redeeming factor of this story. And of course, 
The redeeming factor comes from God. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? If I was in Samson's position, I would have felt like the most worthless person on earth at that point. Being tricked for a second time, my eyes are gone. So I have to imagine when it's all dark, all he's doing is replaying the events of his life over and over again. In fact, I think this wasn't very long after being captured. So what must have he been thinking about over and over? His eyes are gone. He's just been taken away. I mean, his last memories would have been of being tricked, of being captured, of, of losing the spirit of the Lord. But here he is praying to God for just one more chance. And I want you guys to know I did this purposefully, like showed all of the nitty gritty of Samson's life tried to even explain like what happened before chapter 16 so we could see a life that for most of us, none of us would ever want. We don't want to emulate what Samson was like. I just wanted us to see how far from God he had gone, how badly he had messed up so we could see how powerful God's love and forgiveness is for us, no matter what we've done. I want to end with this. Remember how I said at the beginning that I I hated this story? I, I still kind of dislike it. But as I was writing my sermon, I still didn't like it. And you're usually supposed to enjoy like what you write about, uh, what you get to preach about. You have to be passionate about it. But I knew I was supposed to preach on it. It had just stuck in my head and I, I didn't know why until later on in scripture, I remembered that Samson's name comes up, comes up in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews and what we call the hall of faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34 says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. I'm guessing, and it doesn't say this, but I have to guess that to the Jewish people, I don't think Samson is remembered by his strength. He was strong, scary strong. But I don't think that's what got him into the hall of faith. For Samson, I think it was his weakness that turned into strength. It was the eyes that he couldn't keep focused on God until they were taken from him. I think, I think that it wasn't the strength that collapsed the temple on top of the Philistines. It was Samson's faith that God would forgive and redeem him. I don't want to end today focused on sin that we all fall into at some point. Today, I want you to know that God loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter your regrets, no matter what you've been blinded by, bound to, no matter how small you may feel, there's a God who forgives, who loves, and who wants you. We've all messed up and God's not surprised. Like I'm guessing God wasn't surprised by anything that Samson did. It's God's faithfulness to forgive that gives us an opportunity to make an impact. And if any of that today strikes a chord with you, if you wanna learn more, talk about, seek the forgiveness that God offers in this life, please do me a favor. Stop by the purple tent after service. Come find me out in the lobby. Find another pastor to talk to. Because it's worth it. We're never too far. I love you guys. Um, Thank you for always letting me share with you today. It doesn't happen super often, so I'm really thankful for the chance. Let me pray for you guys, and then just a couple of quick closing remarks before we go. Father in heaven, 
God, we're undeserving, but you choose us. I just pray over anyone here today that feels blinded, that feels binded, that feels just grinded into dust. Lord, would you love reach out to them? Would your presence surround them? Would you lift them up? Lord, help us make an impact for you. Let us truly embody what it means to be a child of yours. God, be with us this week. We love you. Only because you first loved us. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Hey, just a couple of quick things before you guys head out. If you do need any prayer, we have an incredible prayer team that would love to meet with you. Uh, They're back at the Purple Tent in the back of the auditorium. They'd love to talk to you, hear your story, pray with you over anything. Um, As you guys leave, there's some invite cards for the Glory Sermon series that we're starting next week. Grab a couple of those. We'd love to have some new people this summer showing up and getting to hear about the glory of God. And then again, if you're new here, stop by the living room. We'd love to meet you, uh, answer any of your questions, but um, also would just love to say thanks for joining us today. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. You guys are dismissed.